Welcome to the Lake Forest Podcast, podcast about the lovely city of Lake Forest, featuring topics like local news, sports, music, people, food, and history. My name is Pete, and I'm joined by my co-host, Lake Forest history legend, Arthur Miller. But before we begin art class, we have a sponsor for the show, Dakota Insurance Group. They've got your back. Why? Because that's what friends are for. Dakota Insurance handles all your residential and commercial insurance needs. Get a quote now at dakotainsurancegroup.com. Okay, one of the goals of the podcast is for our listeners to learn just a little bit more about Lake Forest. Well, who better to teach us about Lake Forest history than Lake Forest history legend Arthur Miller? Okay, everyone, take your seats, fold your hands, put them on top of the desk. Our class is about to begin. Hey, Art, how you been? What you got in store for us? Well, I want to talk about people who want to research their houses and what you do, how things that they can do about that, and why people should be interested about their houses, and who maybe lived there before, uh, what kind of things went on, what if it was part of an estate, which was part of Lake Forest or a farm, you know. So uh, we'll we'll just kind of go through some of those stages. Be, be careful what you're looking for, though. <laughs> well, we all have, uh, yeah, they're interesting houses in town. And you can get a real funny look from somebody when you tell them that there was a murder that took place in their house or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Okay. All right, Art, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Um, those are very rare. I will yeah. start out. Okay. Mostly. Um, and I've mentioned this before, I think, but there's this ad on Mar Masterpiece Theater on Sunday nights where this um, Scandinavian guy, I guess he's Norwegian or something, Viking Cruises goes on the line and says, it's time to get back to being curious and traveling to, um, to learn more about people and places and things. Well, I'm going to say just the opposite. You can, be, you can travel and not leave home you can travel into the past about your house. You get not just your town, but your house. And it's amazing how many of the town of the houses in town um, are over 50 years old. Not all of them, but mo many of them are, I won't say most, I won't say most. Many of them, certainly on the east side, they're gonna be older. Um, and increasingly they're getting older in other parts of town also. So. Um, or they're going to be one nearby. If it isn't your house, it's going to be one near your house. <clears throat> so um, there are various kinds of questions to ask, like what's the style of your house? How many stories does it have? Is it one story? Um, if that's so, that probably is a ranch style house from, um, or if it's two stories and it's also horizontal on the lot, um, in other words, parallels the street, and it's got a lower roof pitch. It's probably a ranch-style one- or two-story house. And there's a lot of those that were built in Lake Forest from in the 50s and 60s especially. Um, they were very popular. And you have to remember that the income taxes, federal income taxes, nobody wants to think about those yet, came down in 1962 and 1970, 60, 62 and 69, they dropped precipitously. 
not as much as they would drop again later um, under Reagan in the 80s. But um, you saw from, let's say, the 50s into the 70s. Let's go for the 70s. There were still many houses all through the 70s that were these two-story houses built with a long section parallel to the street, facing the street, and then a big backyard behind it. So that's a lot of houses in town. Um, and those would be ranch style houses. Now they followed the terrain. If you see some of the more artful ranch style houses that were designed by architects, um, and I'm thinking of like Edward Dart, who was a famous architect, did um, the um, water tower place down in the city, 1975. But before that, in the 50s and 60s, he did um, some houses. One of them is on, um, you can see it from the street just a little bit. It's on uh, Mayflower Road, just north of the South Bridge on Mayflower, on the right-hand side of the street. Not the Frank Lloyd Wright house, which is the one right on the ravine, but the next one, if you look back in that property, you see a gray house with low roof, with low roof planes, and that kind of blends in toward the ravine. It's, it looks like it's rolling a little bit with the landscape. That was one of the characteristics of the ranch style house. It followed that. It, would, they would, it also has, um, that particular version has, or example has um, cathedral ceilings. You know, they don't, have an, they don't have a flat ceiling with an attic above it, but the ceiling is, goes up high. And you may have windows that go up to, uh, to that cathedral ceiling to let in light, um, even if you want privacy below. So uh, those are some of the characteristics of ranch style houses. Materials um, would be probably wood frame typically. You don't see many, many, although there are ones in town that are brick, uh, or partially brick. But so that kind of house comes from that era. It depends on where it's built. If it's on Mayflower Road, it was probably built by somebody with a lot of money on a big parcel of ground. Um, if it's in the Northmore subdivision, which is by South Park, um, very nice with straight streets there, not curvy streets, um, but you'll see a lot of ranch style houses there. And they're also very nice. Usually they've been well-maintained. Um, so that's a typical kind of house. Other styles. Um, one is the bungalow or craftsman bungalow style um, from the early 20th century. That would be uh, the 20s or so, 20s back into the 1910s and so. Those houses included kit houses. So most of the older neighborhoods that were built close to the old North Shoreline interurban track that you could walking distance from them uh, around Washington Circle, Washington Road, Wildwood Road, uh, Griffith Road, which is further north of um, the viaduct at, at Woodland Road, that neighborhood, and then in the um, uh, West Park neighborhood also. Those are those were all subdivisions that were done early first or second decade of the 20th century. And they had a lot of kit homes that were built there by builders, not architects, but builders who picked them out from catalogs and built them. And you can find out about that. There was an article in the Lake Forest Preservation Foundation's newsletter, oh, probably a year ago about the kit homes um, that talks about that. If you look on our webs on the Preservation Foundation website, you'll see something about how to look for kit homes if you have one. 
Um, but you could have a house that was built in those styles and not be a kit. Um, but those were typical. They were different on the lot. Instead of being parallel to the street, they were perpendicular to the street and they were on narrower lots, sometimes very deep, but narrower. Um, so this is, these are more uh, small, typically smaller houses. The larger houses that were built starting in the 1850s were um, generally it Italian villa style, um, either regular Italian villas, which were square buildings with uh, hipped roofs, maybe leading up to a little cupola or overlook, um, or they were irregular buildings that might have some goofy tower on them, like the house at 660 North Sheridan Road. It's got a pagoda, a Chinese pagoda, like in 18th century England at, at Kew Gardens that was copied from the, the Chinese. And it was a popular form. Um, and that one that's got a gold leaf um, spire on it is pretty unique. So the irregular villas were more unique. There were a few of those, but they're, the regular villas, there are some of those around the east side. Um, they followed Greek Revival, and there's some of the sim smaller houses were more Greek Revival in tone. That was a simpler form, but it had a temple form where you had maybe a broken pediment um, as the roof. Um, there were farmhouses from the 1860s, for instance, and see a few of those around still in town. Um, smaller houses then evolved, they became um, more, you could also have Andrew Jackson down in cottages. There's one right by the foot, the college's football field on Illinois Road. It's an Andrew Jackson Downing Gothic cottage that um, sits right there at the um, west end of the field. So those are interesting types of houses from, that was an 1860s house. Um, the, uh, the big estate houses, got bigger and bigger as time went by. Uh, they'd started out in the 1850s and 60s, and they became um, into, into more Englishy styles. Um, also, and you began to have big mansions by, uh, then by architects like uh, Howard Vendor and Shaw, um, Arthur Hoyne for um, the great big villa that's now Reed Hall at uh, Lake Forest Academy out on the west side. Um, so these are different styles of houses. Some people live in smaller ones, some live in bigger ones. Uh, sometimes they know the histories of them. Some of them have been written up in books, uh, but that's, a, that's one way to explore it. If you're looking for a manual for that, there are, that shows all the different styles. The McAllisters wrote, have written a couple of um, guides to historic styles. Um, I have an earlier version, I think, but there's a recent version of that. Um, it's, and, and I'll send a reference to at least part of it so that you can put it up. Um, and the, um, the, the great houses, there's one of our Lake Forest houses that appears in an Abrams publisher, 1904, uh, Guide to Styles. It's the house for Mrs. Kersey Coast Reed on Lake Road. That's example of a the optimal example of a colonial revival house. Um, it was a mere 32,000 square feet, I think. So many of us are happy living in a power of 10 less than that. Um, 
but there were Lake Forest had some big houses built in the 20s and 30s, and, and those are famous. Most of them are covered in books already. Um, so, okay, so figuring out where your house fits in this spectrum based on the style, perhaps partly, uh, you can then go to some places where they have things online or um, by a visit, but you can start on online. Go to the History Center of Lake Forest and Lake Bluff, and they have century houses, um, century families, I'm sorry, not houses, but century families. And it'll show many pictures of houses of um, some of these century families, families that have lived in Lake Forest for 100 years, and um, including older houses, including some younger houses too, where they lived later. Uh, but that's a good source and a place to start. Who were the people who owned your house? That's another more complicated issue and one that's worth, you got to find that out sometimes because like if you want to know who built it or when it was built and what it was built, you have to know who the client was. So you can find the client usually from tax records if it's very early, but mostly you might have to trace it back, um, leapfrogging back from volume to volume at um, the Lake County Recorder of Deeds up in Waukegan. It's not difficult, but you have to see if you're the buyer, you can look online and see who you bought it from and then who they bought it from and who they bought it from, et cetera, going back. And that'll eventually take you back to records that show the earliest record might show in Lake Forest, which would be 1857 or so. It would show you that it was on a particular lot um, and that maybe the lot was unimproved for a long time. It was sold back and forth many times um, before they had an improvement show up. Um, and then you can see when that first improvement was and who was the owner at that time. Um, and that sounds more arduous than it is. It's kind of fun. It's like a puzzle. Um, you could spend an afternoon and probably get the answer, uh, an afternoon or a morning or something like that, up at the, at the recorder deeds on your house. Um, but you might find out that your house has interesting things about it. A, maybe it was moved. A lot of houses in Lake Forest were built in one place and then they were schlepped to another place. Um, that was a huge industry in Chicago. It was known around the world that Chicago moved stuff around buildings. Um, the French word for building is, uh, the translation of it would be unmovable. But the Americans moved the unmovable. Um, the biggest example in Lake Forest that I know of is the 12,000 square foot brick house built in 1892 by uh, designed by architect Henry Ives Cobb for Granger Farwell. It was built on a lot just to the south of, it's a, built basically at 425 North Sheridan Road, okay? They, they moved it. Now this was in, in about 1913, 14, 15. They moved it west a block along Rosemary Road. Now at that time, I'm not sure how many power poles you had to work around. This thing would have been enormous. They would have built a platform, you know, jacked it up, built a platform under it, jacked it up, and then put it on wheels and rolled it along Rosemary Road, as it curves a little bit, past what was at that time Lake Forest Academy, 
um, to Washington Road. And then they would have probably gone a little bit further than that Washington Road. They would have gone across Washington Road and then moved it south across the terrain to where the house now sits up on a high bluff. Uh, that's the biggest move I know. Um, and it's not the earliest. They were doing them a whole lot before then. Stores were being moved. Stores downtown, as Lake Forest downtown area redeveloped, the stores became houses. They were moved maybe a few blocks. Some of them were moved down to uh, Washington Road, south of Illinois Road um, in the early 20th century. There's one house that I know that was moved at some point from the old, um, the, the estate that was the uh, Quinlan estate and uh, built in 1850s. One a little cottage from there is moved to the end of Wood, Woodlawn Road um, near where it would have, where it almost meets Illinois. Uh, but there's a little house there that was built, moved all, schlepped all the way down there, almost to Sheridan Road. So this was a big deal. Everybody moved around. So what you might find is your lot, you figure out what your lot was um, in the old plan, <clears throat> in the 1857 plan, where their, your lot would be. And then you follow the ownership up and see when it started to have improvements. And the improvements might be a whole lot later than when your house was built. It is, it's tricky to try to figure out where the house was originally, but you know in general where it came from. But a lot of interesting houses with details and things are from, are from those earlier periods. So um, houses were moved, that complicates it. Um, one of the, another big one that was moved is the house at uh, 6, 611 East Westminster. It's an Italian villa. It was built a block east on the other side of the street, moved from there about 1896, um, repositioned, uh, probably a new porch put on it. Uh, so this went on. It was a big business. It was a successful business. It did, they didn't wreck anything. They never wrecked stuff. The latest move I know was when um, Shirley Paddock here in town discovered that a house that was about to be torn down, didn't discover, but she reported when she found out it was going to be torn down um, on the, at the east end of Mills Court, which is off of McKinley, there was a little house and she told them they can't tear it down. It's a log cabin and it's probably one of the earliest buildings in Lake Forest. So there was a bunch, big kerfuffle about that. It ended up being, um, picked up and moved north along McKinley Avenue, which then becomes Sheridan Road when it hits Lake Bluff. Past the village of Lake Bluff, it went to Crabtree Farm. And then um, Mr. Bryan, who uh, was the owner of it, uh, he's since passed away. He moved it back into that property, hired an archeologist who studied it, and they, they restored it to what it would have looked like in 1837 when it sat at 830 North, um, Green Bay Road, just opposite West Park. So that's the latest house that I know has moved. Um, but in general, if your house is, you can tell, you may be part of a subdivision of something that was there earlier. I mentioned 830 North um, Green Bay Road. Uh, that was the old home place for the Swanton and Anteridge family that settled there in 1837. Now, um, 
the federal government had made an offer they couldn't refuse to the Native American, the First Peoples, to leave by 1836. Um, they had sort of made a something like that, but the the First Peoples got confused and thought they could come back and wander around. And that led to uh, Black Hawk War, 1832. You may have heard of that. That leads to our sports team, the Blackhawks. Um, Blackhawk thought he could wander around for a while. They actually told him he needed to leave. Um, Abraham Lincoln was part of the militias that gathered to make that clear to poor Blackhawk. Um, so uh, the, that uh, property, they were some of the first people that moved there. Other people were down in Everett that came in after that point. Uh, not many of their stuff is left. And it's just like on this lot, the house has moved clear up to Crabtree Farm and Lake Bluff now. But that uh, was a farm until about uh, the 20s. In the 20s, um, after there were more buildings and stuff, it was, those buildings were gotten rid of. What was anything left there was gotten rid of. In, on that site, and they built, uh, David Adler built a big mansion. The mansion um, was built by the Cudahy's. Uh, Mr. Cudahy was the son of, the, of, a, of one of the big meat packers in Chicago. And by 1919, 1920 or so, he was president of Sinclair Oil Refining Company. I think that his meat company had gone into that as kind of a combine. And he had executive, because he'd been president of the meat company, he had executive experience, like giving it to him this growing um, gasoline business, which was the big thing then. And so he lived there. And his wife, uh, Jean Morton Cudahy, was the granddaughter of uh, Levi Morton, who started Arbor Day. And of um, her father was Joy Morton, who started the Morton Arboretum on his estate in Lyle, southwest of Chicago. So um, that whole neighborhood that was around there had all been on the old Adderidge farm. And people can see that. It was the streets that are around West Park laid out by Howard Van Doren Shaw in 1906. The park, seven acres, was set aside um, in that process um, to give a little space to the estates that were going to develop across the road. Um, that's now part of the National, the National Register of Historic Places as a district. Um, also, the Green Bay Road Historic District includes the estates that are on the west side, also part of that big old farm. So you find out things like that. Looking at, you can look at some of these documents. If you live in East Lake Forest, in the estate areas, you can look at the at the um, National Register documents that the city has. You can um, look for. You can also look for the one that's the West Park one, um, and see if it. Those are. That's the only major middle-class neighborhood that became an historic district. Uh, really. Most of the other historic districts have to do with mostly larger homes, but in the, by the time of the night, from the 1930s to the 1960s, income taxes were confiscatorily high, federal, and um, people had to sell off their property around the big houses. So what you got was a, a a little uh, mother hen and baby chicks type situation. They built one-story ranch houses on the periphery of these big houses that might be two or three stories tall. Um, and so your your property search, if you had a if you lived in a one-story or one and a half-story house, 
in the east side, it probably was part of a bigger estate. And um, one of those ranch houses has just been torn down at 999 East Rosemary, right by uh, Mayflower. And it was part of, originally part of the um, Fitzhugh estate, the Carter Fitzhugh estate from the 1890s. That, that's just a little bit, the big house is south of there, but a new house is going up now where that 1950s um, little cottage was built. It was actually a very nice house and it was remodeled inside to be very high quality, but it's toast now, it's gone. Um, <laughs> that's another thing about Lake Forest, you know, maybe you'll see one disappear if it isn't considered to be really historic, even if it's in the historic district, even if it's contributing, um, people can make a case that it's really not in, in character of the neighborhood now and have it declared insignificant so they can build a new house. Um, so were, were, there, were there any uh, Sears or Montgomery Ward houses built? Oh, yeah. There's one on, on my former street, um, Wildwood Road, which is only a block long from the 50-yard line of the college football field south. Um, there's, a, there's one on the cover of, um, about a year ago, there's one on the cover of the Preservation Foundation newsletter at lfpf.org. And that shows a gambrel roof gym that was um, in decrepit condition. It could have been declared, you know, like one of these ones to get rid of, but somebody bought it and fixed it all up, made modernized, added to it in the rear, but kept the character of it. And it's fantastic now. Um, it's really great. So some of these kid homes have been restored uh, quite often. Other ones could have been, were built to plans that were published in magazines and you could write into the magazine and they would send you the plan for like $5 or $10 or something. <laughs> and you hand it to your builder and say, you know, knock yourself out, I want this house. Um, one of them, there was a family of three generations of builders who lived in that West Park neighborhood. And in 1953, the third generation um, of the Griffith family, um, Raleigh Griffith, built his house with a magazine plan that he bought from a magazine. And it's a brick colonial revival house. It's a perfectly good house. Um, it could have been designed separately, but it wasn't. It was somebody designed it for people and he liked the plan. So he ordered it pretty inexpensively and got it. And since he knew how to build things, he did. Uh, 1953, that was an era of, it was hard to get materials and everything. And thank goodness we'll never know what that's like anymore. Um, but um, at that time, it was really rough that, you know, they had, they were still converting back from World War II production and stuff and hadn't, there were labor shortages, inflation was high. Um, so sometimes things weren't well built, but I think Raleigh Griffith's house was really well built because he was going to live in it and he didn't want it to fall in on him. So he'd have to do something. Um, so those, so you can find out things about people, the people I was starting to talk about. There are, um, there's one very good tool to use that it's online and it's the easiest one I'm gonna mention it right away, is something called find a grave. So if you have a name of somebody that was an early owner and you wanna find out more about them, 
you type in that person's name in Google and then write find a grave after it. And boom, if it's if it's in Lake Forest Cemetery or in somebody else's cemetery, um, you, it'll show up and there will quite often be added to it a bunch of information about the person. Um, you can look at old who's who's of Chicago, um, of the Midwest, that sort of thing. They have lots, often of the head of the household, they'll be, they'll be in there. Now I mentioned those um, who's who in America for the biggest, biggest business people, they would be in there. And Mrs. Um, Cudahy that I mentioned, um, who was the Cudahy meatpacking family at 830 North Green Bay Road, she was in who's who in America as a woman which in 1946, which was unusual, but she was a big monkey muck because she was president of the, of the Morton Arboretum. She was a vice president of the Garden Club of America headquartered in New York. So she was power, ladies power, women's power early on. Uh, great example for modern women. Um, so um, finding out about people, um, you can use, periodicals you can look in uh, if you go to google and you go to google you slip down where there's a little there's a little um looks like a little dice up in the upper right hand corner on your google page it's you open that thing up and then you scroll down to where it says google books google books has indexed a lot of directories and things like that and it's amazing how much you can put together it's best obviously for people before the period of copyright uh, limits. So um, a lot of books are analyzed that it go back to 1923. That's when the copyright law takes it back to. That's basically a law that was set passed to protect Mickey Mouse. And it just screws everything else up. But um, you can go back to 1923 uh, that way. Um, be, after 1923, they give you sketchier information, but it may be enough to lead you to some other sources. You can then go to the Lake Forest Library, which subscribes to a lot of biographical sources, and look things up in their, in their databases. They're, they have proprietary databases that we can't get to for free, um, so you can look those up. But if you start in Google Books, it's amazing how much you can find um, about people who are in directories in, you know, for, their, for their business. If they got sued, they're in there. If they sued somebody else, they're in there. If they, um, there was some big change in their business, it'll get reported in some kind of trade publication. Very obscure stuff that you wouldn't even imagine, but you can find it. So if you've got an older house in Lake Forest, you might well have uh, somebody that was the original owner who, or the builder of it, who is that important? It would show up in those kind of sources. So um, this is sort of a, a start. Um, it's talking about styles, talking about how to how places you can go to find out about your early house, the recorder of deeds. Um, if it's very early, you can use township records that are at the history center. You the history center has other information, and you can search. Their, their sources, including their century, century families at the History Center online. Um, there's a whole bunch of things you can do online that you couldn't do 10 years ago, 20 years ago, for sure, uh, but now are available. And um, 
they're gold mines. Uh, they're really gold mines. Um, archive.org is one more place I'll mention. Archive.org. It's um, a free source where they've done a lot of those early books. And you can find in there the Book of Chicagoans, 1905. 1911 and 1917. And a lot of the estate people show up in there. Uh, I happen to have at home a beat up copy of the 1931 Who's Who in Chicago, um, which is the successor to the Book of Chicago. And I use that all the time. You might find those at book sales and stuff or looking at Amazon, you might find Who's Who in Chicago from different periods. But um, you can find a lot of them uh, by looking online. So I suggest that. So these are the kind of sources that you can use to find out who owned a place. Uh, for architects, that's easy too. Uh, most, many of them have been described and listed. And we'll maybe talk about more about the architects that worked in Lake Forest at a future time. But you can find out about the owners, about the style of the house, and about the history of the property um, pretty easily on your own using online sources today. So be Great curious. Show, Art. Be curious. Yep. <laughs> I'm, every show I'm curious with you, Art. Can't wait to see, <laughs> uh, get those pictures. We'll put them up. Uh, okay. uh, our, our show is going to evolve to YouTube. I think people will get a lot out of YouTube to see. It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to see it. Uh, so uh, we advise okay. everybody to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Wow. But, Okay. Thanks for listening to the Lake Forest Podcast. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and smash a like button on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. Let us know what you'd like to hear about in the upcoming shows. Again, I'm Pete, and I can be reached at Pete at LakeForestPodcast.com. The link will be in the podcast notes. We'd like to thank our Patreon supporters, Church of the Holy Spirit, Reverend Luke Back, Elizabeth B., Costa, Lance, welcome aboard, Lance, and Matthew A. On behalf of my co-host, Arthur Miller, cue the band.